that the Bible is a primitive mythology to help less educated cultures deal with uncertainty. And my desires, that if God were truly good, he should be just like me. My feelings, assumptions, and desires made concessions for God. I had tamed him. I had made him up. And he certainly was not satisfying. Of course, I still went to church. I loved church. I didn't admit my thoughts to myself, but I lived them out. And God didn't matter in my day-to-day life. I took the bits of the Bible that I liked and ignored or denied the rest. I had substituted my relationship with God for my relationship with others. We were all on our own journey to finding who God was to each of us. But God is ever merciful and goes after his sheep that stray. And when the relationships I had prioritised with others instead of Christ were swept away in a torrent of hurt and confusion, the God I had created with my own hands had the pedestal taken from under it and it smashed to the ground. I was left asking... Is any of this even real? I was scared and uncomfortable. A God of love wouldn't do this, would he? I needed to think this through. When Paul is in Athens, he sees that the people are thinkers. They constantly seek out new things to debate and reason. They are so willing to make concessions for God and hedge their bets that they have an altar to an unknown God. Paul reasons with them. What you worship is something unknown, I now proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men to inhabit the whole earth, and he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God intended that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Therefore, being offspring of God, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by man's skill and imagination. I realised if the God of the Bible is real, if he is truly the maker of the universe and the designer of human life, then he gets to define himself. Not only that, he gets to define me, his creation. And he definitely gets to define the relationship between us. Now we call this relationship worship. And worship is the act of attributing reverent honour and homage to God. So worship isn't just about singing songs on a Sunday. It's the stature that we take before God. Recently Andrew and I were discussing the lyrics of a worship song we had heard. Later, our seven-year-old asked what we were talking about, and I turned and told her, Ada, we love your black hair and your brown eyes. We love the way that you just make us so happy. My blue-eyed, blonde-haired daughter looked perplexed. She told me off for making fun of her, justifiably, and I explained my point to her. If we are not worshipping the God of the Bible for who he is, who are we worshipping? Our worship is only authentic to the extent that we know the one we are worshipping. Paul identifies our desire to worship and defines this desire by its object. Truth is worth worshipping. Anything else is ignorance. 
Paul goes straight to the truth and proclaims it loudly in open spaces for all to hear. But we don't have people in our marketplaces. We work and we play and we live in a different time and place. So can we know God? Can we know truth? I believe that God can be known, not to the full extent of his glory yet, as I am a mere mortal looking through a glass dimly. But there is overwhelming evidence in creation, history, science and humanity that points to the character of this God and where to find out more. God is not hiding. When I started dating my now husband Andrew, I did what any sensible or somewhat neurotic girl in 2008 would have done. I googled his name. (laughs) I wanted to make very sure that he wasn't an axe murderer. I found out that he was a university professor, a real estate agent, and possibly related to a man who had recently murdered someone. (laughs) I I thought I could handle the first one. I wasn't sure about the second one, and a little concerned about the third. You see, I didn't want my feelings going somewhere I wasn't sure of. And we all know that we can't trust our feelings all the time. It turns out that Google wasn't a useful source of information because Andrew was none of these people. I needed a better source of information. I needed a dating app. No, not true. I jest, but my point is, if there there was a book about him, I would have read it. Better yet, an autobiography? Then I'd really have something to go on. The Bible is the exact information God wants us to have about his character, with no error. It's his autobiography of works he's done throughout history to claim his people and redeem them for himself. God, however, hasn't polished up his profile. He isn't concerned that you might find something out about his past or what he intends to do in the future. In fact, he wants you to find out. Our Father in heaven, in his infinite wisdom, has been entirely upfront with us about his character. If you're like me and read the Old Testament with a little bit of apprehension about what God's going to do next, take heart. He's not afraid of what you're going to find there. If you're wondering about how to grapple with aspects of his character that you'll discover, I promise you it will be worth the wrestle. One of the most wonderful assurances we get from the Bible is that no human would create a God like our God. He doesn't fit us. We were made to fit him, to find our greatest joy in him and him alone. If God's character can truly be known, and this character is what will truly satisfy us, how can we learn more? Paul in 2 Timothy 3 states, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. When I took a closer look, I learned very quickly that God wasn't always what I expected. In fact, he really was. When God describes himself in Leviticus, he uses the word holy. The word holy means set apart, unique, other, not like us. On every page of the Bible, I was surprised. Holy doesn't just describe an attribute of God's character. It is his character. All of God's ways are higher than the ways of man. When the Bible speaks of God's mercy, it's his holy mercy, not our mercy. When the Bible speaks of God's jealousy, it's his holy jealousy. When it speaks of God's love, it's his holy love. No human love would sacrifice your only pure and innocent child to bear the wrath of God 
for an enemy. God's love did this to redeem a people for his glory. To redeem me for his glory. A holy love. A holy God. Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to worship him? When the Samaritan woman comes face to face with Jesus, she wants to know how to truly worship this God. Where should she go? On that mountain? This one? Jesus replies, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such as these to worship him. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Without the spirit, worship is dead. Without the truth, our worship is misdirected. In spirit and in truth. Truth is defined as that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. Truth is not defined by our feelings, the current social climate, our desires, or politicians. It is defined by God and His Word. The Bible isn't just a spiritual helpline in times of trouble. It's given to us to grow us, exhort us, and deepen our understanding of who God is. So that we can love him more deeply, worship him more truly, and genuinely find our greatest joy in him. It is given to us to conform us to the image of his son, and thus glorify him in all truth, and fulfill us with true joy. Paraphrasing Paul in Romans, I urge you, sisters, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, the Bible explicitly tells us that what you know with your mind informs your ability to honour God the way he's designed you to, and whether you'll find that joy you seek. God desires authentic worship, worship of his true character, and that is what we are made for. Our citizenship of heaven is realised the moment we recognise Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, but changing our mindset to one of a citizen of an eternal, victorious kingdom, that's one of transformation. And the end goal of that transformation is our confirmation to the image of Christ for his glory and our joy. When my husband comes into the kitchen, there's a pattern. He opens the fridge, sighs a little bit, opens a cupboard, and he sighs again. He opens the fridge and he brings out the milk. He's hungry, or he thinks he is, so he drinks milk. How often I am like this when I hunger to know more of God. I go to my easily digested quick fix verses. I want to say categorically that there is nothing wrong with having go-to verses that remind you of the goodness of our God and the assurance that we have in his promises. They are necessary, but don't let that be all that you ingest. Just as my husband could survive on milk alone, he won't thrive. Hebrews 5 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, 
not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Sisters in Christ, let us be discerning so that we can cast out these idols made by our own minds and instead worship and truth our Father, the unique holy maker of all things, the one who works together all things actively, personally, and with power for the good of those who love him. How many of you have started a gym membership? (laughs) Some. If you were to start one, (laughs) at that point, you're probably hoping to mould your body to fit an idea that you have in mind. That change you want doesn't happen immediately. It happens as we exercise to enjoy endurance, and in my case, suffering. In the same way, we yearn for the end product of our sanctification. When the work is finished and we take on the form of Christ as God destined us to. All creation groans for such a time. The great thing about physical training is that as we practice uncomfortable and challenging exercises, they increase our strength and even become enjoyable. What is true physically is true spiritually. I cannot express the depth of joy and sureness of faith as I find more and more of Jesus to love and glorify Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 3. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Our sanctification is guaranteed by our gracious Father, and we see it with intensifying glory and wait in anticipation for our Lord to conform us as he promises. If you're like me and you tried the gym once and it wasn't your thing, you might be wondering what happens if it all seems too hard or daunting or just unobtainable from how you feel right now. I want to encourage you to look past how you feel to what you know. In the classic Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, the children find themselves in a land always winter and never spring, seemingly ruled by the white witch. They haven't yet met Aslan, the king of Narnia. Is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, Derry, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most, or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, it all depends on your definition of safe, but the point is that being faced with the reality of our almighty God challenges our preconceived ideas and what we thought we knew. These are some absolutes that I hold on to with everything I've got as I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. 
In Christ, you are known fully and accepted wholly. Your salvation is assured. You have the Holy Spirit as a comforter and guide. God himself promises to sanctify you and never give you more than you can withstand. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we read, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will do it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So how have I come to know the Lord better? Started to. I found reading just a verse or a paragraph that challenges me and dwelling on it while I get life done, achievable, and then finding someone whose discernment I trust to instruct, correct, convict, and train me. God has placed us in a community for a reason. The church is not defined by physical walls, and we have greater access to good teaching than at any time in history. No matter your method, I have some observations to keep in mind as we seek to know God better. Firstly, ask God to show himself to you. As we behold the glory of Christ in the Bible, he calls out to something deep within us and gives us that sense of complete satisfaction and beautiful joy only found in him. This is a good thing, and Jesus himself promises, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Second, rest in Jesus. The person and work of Jesus is all that we need for our salvation. As we drill down deep into who he really is and wonder at the work he has achieved on our behalf, we behold the glory of our Lord more fully. We can no more lose our salvation and achieve our glorification on our own. Christ is all we need and he walks with us as we work together for our sanctification. Three, be willing to wrestle. There are difficult passages in the Bible and scary concepts and heartbreaking realities. Give God an opportunity to show his grace, compassion and comfort as you walk through them. Fourth, build one another up. We are so privileged to have a God that loves us so deeply to provide us with true community. The Bible calls us to love one another as Christ loves us. The way we do this is through speaking the truth in love as iron sharpens iron. We are called to care so much for one another that we seek the truth together for our mutual benefit. Allow yourself to be sharpened. Lastly, be discerning in your search. Discernment is one of the benefits of going deeper with Christ, but it grows as we grow, which means we can and must look to those ahead of us. There is no by means, sorry, by no means an exhaustive list of resources on your tables or I think being held out, handed out in a moment, um, but those that are there have helped me immensely. We have a great personal trainer in Jesus who not only gives us his spirit to comfort and encourage us to seal us for the courts above, but because he has first run this race, we can do it in his name. 
We are conformed to be like him, by him, and only through his strength. What grace is given to those of us who realise we're never going to get that gym body on our own, but are nourished by each word our Lord has spoken. I'd like to pray. Father in heaven, sanctify us by your truth. According to the riches of your glory, grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.